Well, thank you, Carolyn. Good morning, everybody. Uh, how are we doing this morning? Good. All right. It is a good morning. And uh, yeah, it, it has been a good morning, right? It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, that's one of the beauty, one of the beautiful things of doing two um, gatherings is this. Uh, you get to do it, and then you get to do it again. But sometimes, wow, we've had a, we've had a rich, a beautiful morning already, and it's, it's still continuing. And as Marvin and I were talking, I'm exhausted already. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's, it is good. Um, it's good to be together. And I, I just felt like, you know, Liz, who helped lead us in that, that picture of, of offering our praises in this temple and in this temple, um, it's just a, it was a beautiful thing. There's, there's a safety in this place, um, which you all contribute to, which I, I just want you to know, like that um, it, it matters um, and it's recognized and the ways that you respond to his invitation to worship um, it really is moving. Um, I'm, I was already getting messed up right, right up here. So if you've been to Trinity for a little while, you've probably recognized that we are going through a, a multi-month series in Titus, the book of Titus, called Exiles. If you're new to Trinity, um, that's what we're doing. And what we're, where we're at right now is we're in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. I'll read them here in a second. But what you want to kind of know is this. Is, this is a letter from Paul to Titus as Titus is growing this church in this place called Crete. And so he is, is writing to these overseers uh, who are leaders of the church, also um, uh, mentioned as elders. And this is what chapter 1, verse 7 in Titus says. For an overseer or an elder as God's steward must be above reproach. Uh, these are, here comes a list of things he, he shouldn't be. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. And then there's a shift of, well, if you're not supposed to be those things, then what should you be? Um, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And for today, um, we're only going to focus on three words. And these three words are right in the text, and it says this, lovers of good. That's what we're going to focus. That's it. Just those three words. Um, and just recognize that, as you've probably heard already, that for overseers or elders, this doesn't just apply to them. This applies to all of us who are followers of Christ. So when you, you, when, without even knowing a whole lot about when you hear that term, lover of good, it sounds good, doesn't it? Like, I, I want to be a lover of good. Like, if you, if, if you had to, like, think of words of identity or blessing for Ben Diaz, I'd, I'd want, like, lover of good to be part of it. I mean, hospitable is great. Um, holy, disciplined, those, those feel very, like, high, like, unattainable. Self-controlled, it depends on who you ask. Um, upright, all those are great, and we want all of those. But there's just something about that phrase, right? Like, lover of good, that feels very familiar. Like, we, we would say that. Um, for example, good is probably one of the most used words you and I use. You already used it when I asked you one question. Everybody said, when I asked, how's everybody doing? Everybody said, good, Right? So, like, you do that with just about every question. How are you? Good. How's your family? Good. How's school? Good. How's your day? Good. How's food? Good. Everything's good, right? You just use it all the time because it's good. It's a good word. Um, we use it to greet one another. Good morning. Good afternoon. What's good? Good evening. Good night. We use it to encourage one another. Good job. Good work. That's some good effort. That's a good deal. Good luck with that. We also use it to express our displeasure with something, right? Good grief. Oh, goodness gracious or good riddance. We use it all the time. And, and even here in church, oh man, that's one of our favorite words, good news. The good shepherd, the good Samaritan, good Friday, good works. Finish this for me. God is good all the time and all the time God is? Right, 
and all that is true. And we use it as much as we use it. If I asked you, well, define it for me. What, what makes something good? You'd be like, I just know, right? I know when something's good. I know when something's not good. But if you asked me to define the word good, you'd probably use the word good to define it. Oh, it's good because I, it's just really good. You know, this food is really good because it just tastes good. That music sounds good because it sounds good. So you can't use, right? You can't use the word to define, but you use it all the time. So now Paul's using this word good in the, in the phrase lover of good. So what does it actually mean to be good? And we could start, we really could start with the Webster's Dictionary. Um, and you could see that it's a noun adjective and, and it's a verb as well. You could, I could tell you that it comes from the Greek word philos and agathos and philos meaning friend of or fond of, that which is good. I could tell you all that and you could write it down. I can tell you this, none of that's gonna matter on a Tuesday morning when you need it. You're not gonna, when you get a phone call that somebody is injured or there's an emergency or someone comes to you with some bad news, you're not gonna pause or Google the Greek word of lover of good. You're not. You need to have something. Believe me, you're gonna need it. Like right away, you're gonna need something. What floats to the top? And you're gonna want, if you want to be a lover of good, right? You're gonna wanna know what good means. So we're not gonna spend time on that um, of the dictionary definition or um, the Greek. But what I do want you to know is this, is God uses the word good. Um, and it's right there in the very beginning. So in chapter one of Genesis, verse one, it says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And on the first day he said, let there be light. And when God saw the light, what did he call it? And on the second day, he created the sea and separated it from the sky. And when he saw it, what did he call it? And on the third day, he made dry land and vegetation and called it good. Then he made the sun and moon and stars the next day and animals of the sea and sky and land on the next day. And the end of each day, he paused, looked at his creations. And what did he call it? He called it, he called it good. But on the sixth day, he created humankind, all in his image, full of life and full of beauty. And when God saw all that he made, he didn't just call it good. What did he call it? He called it very good. Very good. So this is what good means. Good means the way God intended it to be. The way that God intended it to be. That's gonna be helpful. That's gonna be helpful on a Wednesday afternoon when you're, you're waiting for your new diagnosis or what's your prognosis when you're sitting here across from your oncologist. It's gonna matter. Like, ooh, how, what does it mean to be good? But this phrase is not just you need to be good. It means to be a lover of good. So a lover of good, you, you can tell it's not um, one who observes good or tolerates good. It's not just one who likes good. It's a lover of good. And there's a new intensity that comes with the word lover of good, right? We could be observers of good. We could be tolerators of good, but we're called to be lovers of good. Take a look at probably one of the most familiar verses of all of scripture, John 3:16. It says this, for God so what? He loved the world. He loved it. He didn't just tolerate it. He didn't just observe it. He didn't just say, wow, well, I guess I'll just deal with that, that world. He loved it. There's an intensity. There's a passion there. He says this, that he gave his one and only son. He gave his highest and best. He proves his love. Not that he needed to. He showed that he's going to give his one and only son, his highest and best, because he loves you. 
He loves what's good. He loves what's good in what he created in you. And that matters. Love is another one of those words, right? I love pizza, I love football, I love taking naps, and I love Jesus, right? We just, we love everything. Everything's good and we love everything. We use it so much that it means nothing sometimes. But here's the good thing, the good thing. It all means something. Nobody's saying that that word good or the word love is bad. We just use it all the time. And it's helpful if we can have these handles so that if we really want to be a lover of good, do you, do you hear that? Like if, if we put those two together, a lover of good is someone who passionately pursues things the way God intended. Passionately pursues. And there's the difference, right? We're so mid on everything, right? Like, every, like even if we look back at that scripture of Genesis 1.1, um, you ask God on the first day, how's your day? He said, it's good. He said he's the one that started it, right? My day's good. What about on the second day? Hey, God, how was your day? It's good. That, but that, here's the thing. <laughs> he didn't just be like, oh, it's good. I have a feeling like if, 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 we were, if we got to have a peek into him creating all that which is good, it'd be a little bit more intense than that. There's an intensity to. He looked at you on the sixth day. Man, it was, this was very good. Like, very good. This is so good. There's an intensity there that we're so afraid of. We get so intense about things that, I mean, they matter, but not as ma- that don't matter as much, right? I can be pretty intense. You know you can be pretty intense. And we pick and choose when to be intense. And there's no shame in that. But are we picking and choosing the things that really, really matter? Like, are we aware of that? Um, I'm sure a lot of you probably like sports, yeah? And we all love sports, and we love good sports, and we're probably super intense with that, which is good. Same thing with music. That's great. I love it. I, zero shame. But why is there a disconnect sometimes? I'm speaking to myself, and all, for all of us probably. Why is there a disconnect sometimes when, oh, I'm a lover of good. I'm a lover of good, but I'll keep it right here, right? I observe that. I acknowledge that. I bless that. But I'm not very passionate about that. Yeah? And that, that's, not, that's only to, to acknowledge that, right? That hopefully you feel that. Because really, the reason I'm sharing all this is because not so we have a good definition of good. It's because it's going to matter. It's going to matter on that Tuesday morning when you just don't want to wake up. It's going to matter. It's going to matter if you have a friend that wants to end it on a Wednesday night. It's going to matter. Like, there has to be this passion. It can't be so mid all the time. And the way we spend our unseen hours really impacts those times where we might not feel fully prepared, but guess what? We're fully equipped because we're lovers of good, and he lives within us. So now that we kind of have this idea of like, oh, so good is the way that God intended to be, and if we want to be a lover of good, um, that passionately pursues the way things God intended to be, we kind of need an example. And we don't need, again, hear me, we don't need examples just so that we can add more knowledge to our backpack so we can carry it around, so that when it's time to get our textbooks out on Sunday mornings, we can say, oh, I know what that means. That's not what this is about. I'm telling you it's not. You're going to need this. You're gonna, you, if you really don't want to be a lover of good like, and show that you're a lover of good, then you can just tune me out, for real. Like, there's permission for that. Because if, if it doesn't stir within you that like, that's what I want, like I do, then to see that intensity, then it's just going to be more knowledge. It's going to be like, you know, I can tell you what a lover of good, what you need right here is a lover of good. But if you have someone sitting across the table from you and they're in an abusive relationship and you're going to just, you want to be a lover of good for them. You want to be Christ to them. This, is, this stuff is going to matter. So if you ha- there's this intensity of, do you even want it? Um, so even as we listen to this story, listen for the ways this particular person could have done 
one of two things. He could have been a lover of good or a brother of revenge. And that's oftentimes our choice, right? Do we want to be a lover of good or do we want to be fond of revenge or bitterness or hatred or whatever, fill in the blank. All right, so let me give you an idea of who this particular person. Let's see if you, let's just, just test your Bible trivia knowledge. You've already gotten all of them right, right? So God said good, very good, all that stuff. Nice job. Let's see if you know this one. All right, so this particular person has brothers that are older than him. All right, let's see if that narrows things down for you. All right, this particular person was given this super nice coat by his dad who really loved him more than his brothers. Yep, I'm hearing the answer. Uh, this particular person um, was uh, and ended up um, being thrown in jail for a crime he didn't commit. And then he ascended to kind of second in command, um, chief executive, if you will, uh, next to Pharaoh in Egypt. Who's the person I'm talking to or about? Who is? Say it, say it out loud. Joseph, Joseph. Now, there, there is a Joseph that um, is the father of Jesus, different Joseph. So if you're new to like the Bible, that Joseph is not the same Joseph. We're talking about a Joseph that happened well before um, Jesus came. But yes, you're right. Uh, Jesus' dad's name is, jo earthly's dad's name is Joseph. But this particular Joseph, you can find his story in Genesis 37 all the way to chapter 50. Now, I'm not going to read all of that right now. But guess what? There's 167 other hours in the week. And guess who can spend that time reading chapters 37 through 50 in Genesis? You can, and you should. And it's great. Um, and if you're just like, wow, thanks, Ben. I wasn't expecting homework. That's okay. We have a Believe podcast. I don't know if you guys know this, but Pastor Marvin and Carolyn, it's a conversation between two friends over scripture, and it's 20 minutes. And there's, we have an episode 63, and in 22 minutes, Pastor Marvin and Carolyn Kirsten, they talk about the entire story of Joseph. Um, and it's a pretty compelling intro. Pastor Marvin says, do you think it's weird if someone were to carry bones around of their loved ones? And then you're like, oh, well, tell me more, right? So that's the Believe podcast. I'm not gonna spend a whole bunch of time talking about all of Joseph's, Joseph's life, but I do need to give you some context because I, I, I wanna get to this point in Joseph's life where it's super pivotal, right? We all have these moments. And you need context to kind of get to this point of like, all right, is Joseph going to be a lover of good? Or is he going to be a brother of revenge? Right? That's what you kind of want to know. And we have that type of tension almost every day. Maybe not to this scale. But every day we have that choice of like, do I want to be a lover of good? Or do I want to take revenge on this person? Right? That's the invitation. So follow me on the roller coaster ride of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. No, I'm not going to, yeah, they're not going to do that. You can watch the, hey, if you thought watching the musical would be your homework, you can do that. That's extra credit. It's not the assignment though. Um, so Joseph is uh, a son of Jacob who has lots of sons and Jacob loves Joseph more than his other sons. That's a good thing for Joseph. So much so that he gives him a coat. That's a great thing. Here's the roller coaster thing. That's not so good because his brothers resent Joseph for that and are jealous of him and make his life difficult. So then here we go on the roller coaster. Here's another good thing that Joseph has. He has dreams from God himself and the ability to interpret those dreams. Wow, that's really good. And here's where the roller coaster comes back in. And that's not good because in those dreams, all his brothers, his mom and his dad bow to Joseph, right? And he tells them. So that's not good. So now the resentment has increased and uh, widened to his parents who resent Joseph a little bit. 
Here's another good thing. Joseph, even though he's young, is trusted by his father Jacob to go check on his brothers who are shepherds to give a report back to him. So that's a good thing. He trusts Jacob enough to let him out of his household. But here's the not so good thing. When Joseph's brothers see him coming, they go, oh great, here's that dreamer. Um, and they come, and you know what they want to do? They want to kill him. They plot to kill him. That's, that's bad news, by the way, uh, for Joseph. Well, here's some good news. Well, I, I guess this is good-ish news. Um, they throw him in a pit, a cistern, um, and they actually take him out of there, realizing like, oh, because if we left him to die, we wouldn't get any money. So why don't we sell him into slavery and we'll get some money, and then we spare his life. So that, I guess that's a good thing for Joseph. He wasn't killed at that point. But here's the bad thing. He becomes a slave in a faraway land, right, called Egypt. And in Egypt, um, he goes to this place of Potiphar, and he becomes Potiphar's slave. Potiphar is an Egyptian official, like pretty high ranking. So the good news is this. Joseph has God with him, and God blesses him, and he does all these good things, and he ascends to second in charge of Potiphar's household. That's a good thing. Here's the bad thing. Potiphar's wife finds Joseph very attractive and makes several attempts to, uh, yeah, you know, be uh, in, yeah, that thing. Um, And he refuses. Um, And then she accuses him of, of rape and sexual assault and he gets thrown in jail. That's a very bad thing. And while he's in jail, God was with him and God blessed him. And in, even in jail, he ascended to all the guards and all the prisoners trusted Joseph. And he was just this, this great guy. And as he was doing that, there were two people that were, used to be part of Pharaoh, who's high, way higher than, he's, he's the king. Pharaoh had two people on his council that got thrown in jail. And remember Joseph being able to interpret dreams? They had some dreams and Joseph was able to interpret those. And so... They go back to Pharaoh, Joseph's still in prison, and the, one, of the, one of them tells um, the king like the correct interpretation of the dream because of Joseph. And Joseph, before they left to go tell Pharaoh about this, was like, hey, if you get that opportunity to tell Pharaoh, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me in prison. He's like, I got you, I got you. So he goes and tells uh, Pharaoh the dream. He gets restored to, the dream is exactly on point. He gets restored to his, uh, role as part of the council of Pharaoh. And guess what he immediately forgot to do? He forgot to tell the king about Joseph. Not for one day. Because yeah, one day you'd be like, oh man, he probably just forgot. That's cool. I'll just, I'll wait. I'm sure he'll remember tomorrow because I mean, that's a big deal. He didn't forget on the second day. By the second day, he's probably like, all right, probably three days, three days is probably what he's looking at. You know, that's a, that's a holy number. So I'm, I'm guessing it's probably the third day. On the third day, the, the cupbearer re- remembered Joseph and Joseph. Nope. It wasn't the third day. It wasn't the fourth. It wasn't a, a week. The weeks turned into months. The months turned into a year. And that year turned into two years. And that's only one line in scripture. But we're so, we're so quick to dismiss it. Oh, and, and two years later, the cupbearer remembered that Joseph um, gave this dream and all was restored. But lean into those two years, right? Everybody's waiting for something. And sometimes you need it out. Like you were wrongly accused of something, you're thrown into prison, and your hope for your future rests on this person that you really did a good thing for, and they forget. And you have no idea if that one day is two, that two days is three. 
I want you to, I want you to feel that tension of like, this could, this could lead to bitterness. These are all of our invitations. All of us have these invitations every single day. So two years later, finally, Joseph did not give up hope and he gets freed from prison, talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, wow, this dude is wise. I'm gonna appoint him as my second in command. Remember, all this is pointing to this, this pivotal moment. So now all of a sudden he's second in command to only Pharaoh in all of Egypt. You feel this roller coaster? And all of a sudden he's way up here and he gets a dream. Pharaoh gets a dream of like, all right, there's gonna be some bad news. There's gonna be a seven year famine. But the good news is for the seven years before that, we're gonna have seven years of abundance. So Joseph says, all right, let's store up all this grain for these next seven years so that when the famine hits, people will come to us. So that's exactly what happened. We had, had seven years of abundance, and here we are in the story. They've had two years of famine, and people are feeling it. People are really feeling the famine, and they know that Egypt has food. And guess who is running out of food over in Canaan? His brothers. So his brothers catch word of like, oh, they have food in Egypt. Why don't we go to Egypt, grab some food from Egypt, and we'll bring it back here to Canaan. Jacob, who's Joseph and the brother's dad, said, that's a great idea. He thinks his son is dead, right? They dipped his nice little coat in animal blood and said that he was killed. And so Jacob is, he thinks his son is dead. And the brothers have no idea, right? They sold him. So for all they know, he could be dead or he could still be a slave somewhere. No idea that Joseph is second in command of all of Egypt. Are you feeling this? Are you feeling this tension? So here's what happened. I'm, we're finally at... Chapter 45 in Genesis, and here's that meeting. The brothers come in in front of this chief executive of Egypt, who's actually Joseph, but they have no idea it is. And here's, I'm going to pick up in verse 45, chapter, or chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants and cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And there, there's this moment of like, is that a good thing or not a good thing, right? Like, you know, when you, what, have you ever had this part where you can't tell if somebody's crying or laughing, right? It's kind of like that. There's like all this emotion, but it sounds like they're crying, but they could be laughing, but I'm not really sure. So Joseph is like, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph. And when he made himself, uh, so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. He was weeping and we still don't know what this means. But we do know this, there was an intensity to Joseph's emotion. There was a love there, a love of something, either a love of revenge or love of good. We're not sure what it is yet. But do you feel that? There's, there's this intensity. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. Here's because they were terrified at his presence, right? All of a sudden, oh my goodness, that's, that's the dude. That, that's, jo that's our brother and they were terrified. So here's that pivotal moment. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me, right? And now you're like, oh boy, they're gonna really get it. They are really, come close to me, what does that mean? And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And, and you're at the, if the crowd, if we were in the mob, they'd be like, oh, they're about to get it. And now, this is the next thing Joseph said. And now, oh, oh, now what? Fill in the blank. Is he going to be a lover of good? 
or a brother of revenge. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves Oof, for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I'm gonna say that again. Do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me here. God is good. That's the way it was intended to be. And Joseph knew it. He knew that God was good. He knew that God had been faithful through to him. Were there good things? Yeah. Were there bad things? Absolutely. But was God through it all? Yes. Was he faithful? Absolutely. And did Joseph believe that? Yes. He had this pivotal moment to just take it all on his brothers right now. Or he could be a lover of good. He chose to be a lover of good. He knew, he passionately pursued what God intended. I'm going to skip down. Uh, for two years, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing or reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives. Wow. This is how this little part ends. He threw his arms around his brothers and wept. This embrace, this intense embrace, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Wow. Yeah, he's a lover of good. There's an intensity to that. He's just not a tolerator of good and say, you know what, just give him food, kick him out of here, I never want to see him again. That'd be, that'd, be, that'd be merciful. But man, there's this intensity that we just don't have, right? We just lack intensity. I lack intensity so often, unless there are things that honestly don't really matter. And that's not a shame thing. It's just a, a realization of like, man, I'm so intense on things that just don't matter. And you know what that list is for you. Actually, you might be better at that list for somebody else that you wish they would change. You might be like, you know what? They are intense. They're intense about this, and they shouldn't be. But here's the thing. Joseph could have been that intense to his brothers. You know what they're intense about? Trying to kill me, and they shouldn't be. He was intent on recognizing that the way that God's intended things to be. Oftentimes, we look at other people like, man, that, like, if, yeah, if they heard that they were so intense about that, he, he's right. Yeah, Ben is right. He is intense about stuff. He should know that. I'm going to tell him. And you can, and thank you. And I invite you to do the same for yourself. Maybe you're just not intense about the things that matter. Maybe you're just a liker of good. Maybe you're just a tolerator, but you like the fact that it says good, that you have good attached to it. But that's not what you're called to be. You're called to be a lover of good, passionately pursue it. So let's fast forward to chapter 50. This is the end of Joseph's life. So all those things came true. So Joseph tells his brothers, hey, go back to Canaan, tell dad, um, and, and everybody to come to Egypt and stay in this place called Goshen, this, this really beautiful place with me. We'll provide for you. We'll love on you. You have nothing to, no, you don't have to work. Like all this stuff is going to be provided for you. Just as his same position Joseph had was offered to everybody else, not in terms of um, governance, but in terms of like benefit. So they had, they had a nice place and all this stuff. But then Jacob dies. Yeah. His, their father dies. And this is where I'm at. I'm in the last chapter of kind of, well, of, yeah, of Joseph's story. Verse 15. When Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. Let me read that again because I know some of, you missed, some of us missed that. It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. That was a long time ago. And from that point to the gap of now, Joseph filled that gap with nothing but mercy, grace, and blessing. Nothing but that. 
He, he gave them life. He gave them food. He gave them places for their families to settle down. He, he brought them to where he was at, where he has power. All of that. He gave all of that to them. And yet the one thing that makes them change their mind about Joseph's goodness is this. Our dad's dead. He's not going to protect us. Joseph must want to take revenge on us. They're, they're believing that the, all, all that evidence that Joseph has been good to his brothers, they're willing to trade right off the bat with one thing. Our dad died. Now we're going to get it. They're so quick. Aren't we so quick? I'm so quick. I'm so quick to change, exchange that. Oh, that, wow, God's been faithful all my life. That looks scary. Well, I guess he's not good anymore. And we turn our back, and this is a real thing. And this is why we want to be a lover of good, don't we? So that we're not just like, you know what? Brother revenge sounds a lot better. Let's just go with that. So the brothers say, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin. They have this, they have this thing where they rehearsed. Your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. This is them rehearsing the fact that like, hey, if you don't think you want to be merciful to us, I know that you loved our dad. So dad said, be merciful to Joseph. So that's why you should spare our lives. So this is, again, another pivotal moment where Joseph could be like, lover of good? Oh, actually, oh, they're, they're still up, up on this revenge thing. Maybe, maybe I should entertain this idea. This is how Joseph responds. Joseph wept. There it is again, man. Like, there's this intensity, right? Joseph wept because he loved. He cared. He cared about the right things. He cared about his brothers. Joseph wept and he spoke with him, with them. His brothers also came down and fell before him and said this, behold, we are your servants. And there it is. They want to trade their identity as brothers to be a servant because for whatever reason, and see if this resonates with you, you think that God will treat servants better than children, right? As a child of God, I'd rather be a servant because for whatever reason, I believe that God will treat servants better. That's what his brothers are doing. He'll be more merciful to servants because I can exchange something to him, some service or something, but I'll trade it for my identity as a brother of Joseph, which was a good thing. We're so quick to trade identity. You know what, God, that was really tough, but I'll do this for you. I'll do this for you for the next four days, and if you kind of change my prayer, then I'll kind of move back over to lover of good, right? We'll just trade. We'll exchange my identity. No, the best place you can be is in the identity God has called you to be, right? Whether it's a brother whether it's a daughter, whether it's a sister, whether it's a son. Don't be so quick to trade it. So how does, how does Joseph respond? And Joseph said to them, this is good, don't fear. For am, am I in the place of God? This is probably one of my favorite verses. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. He was able to take all the things do you know that we have an enemy and his name isn't God? Do you know that we have an enemy and his name isn't Jesus? Do you know we have an enemy and his name isn't Holy Spirit? But we assign it so quickly to him, right? Man, why, you know, like, why did that happen to me? Why did you let that happen to me? Why did you cause this to happen to me? Where there's an enemy that's really just seeking to, seek to kill, destroy, ruin your life. That's really all he's there for. And he, he means to take good things, make them evil, but God can take all those things and turn them into good. And Joseph knew that. What makes a lover of good? They know who God is. As for you, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about, bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So don't fear. 
I will provide for you and your little ones. Plus he comforted him and spoke kindly to them. Yeah, that's good. He's a lover of good. Not a brother of revenge. And you, you here, here's the thing, like, like all, all week, right, my emotions are really close to the surface. And there's reasons for that. Um, you, you've been hearing me say, like, on a Tuesday morning, you're going to need this. On a Wednesday afternoon, you're going to need this. On a, on a Thursday night, in the middle of the night, when you get a whatever, you're going to need it. And it's true, because you're going to live it. Maybe you have. But I'm living it right now. Like, like my family needs a miracle because of the health of one of my, my beautiful um, siblings. Right? And it matters. There's an intensity. And that's a good thing. Because I love her. I love my sister. And what's going to be helpful is not when I sit across a table from Carmen to be like, hey, do you know that the Greek word for that is actually this? She's going to need intensity of my love that reflects the goodness of our God. I need to believe it, and you're going to need to want it. You're going to need to want it. So, like, I could go up here and apologize for the level of intensity, but I really am not. I'm not. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask for his grace to cover like all of this, because I don't want you to feel shame, but I do want you to feel an urgency because nobody is closer to the identity God has given to you than you. So as you step into these places, like if we talk about this next thing, how do we become a lover of good? Well, I don't want to give you like six things that you'll never remember when it matters. Like when the rubber hits the road, what's going to come to mind? You know that feeling when you want to get back at somebody and you, want, you feel like you're losing control? I know we all know that feeling. I'm not going to pretend that I'm up here like, I never feel that feeling. I'm, so I'll speak from a place where I never feel it. We feel it all the time, right? You get offended with something, now what? Do you have a choice? Do you want to be a lover of good? Or do you want to take revenge? And that's why this stuff matters. Hopefully, I mean, it matters for me. Because my, my sister needs a miracle. And there's a space between today and her healing, right? And I believe it, and it can be really tough. And you know that feeling. And if you don't, you will. So that's where we're going with this. This is not some, hey, you know, when times get tough, why don't you, you know, kind of look up this, Google this sermon. You're not going to do that. And I don't, I don't think you should. But what do you do? How do you prepare for those moments where you don't feel fully prepared, but you want to be fully equipped so that the right response emerges like a reflex. Well, here's what I think. And th- th- this, is, this is real life for Ben Diaz right now. This is not something I Googled and said, oh, what are the ways to become lover of good? Here are the four, th- it's not that. <laughs> like this is, this is real life for me right now. Let 1 Corinthians 13 be your guide. That's, that's the first thing. If you don't know what that is, it's the love passage in the Bible. Verses four through seven says, says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I'm going to read that again and listen to it from the lens of, as you heard Joseph's story. 
Love is patient. He was kind. Now, patient, he was two years, two years. He was kind to his brother. He responded. He didn't envy. They were jealous of him, but he learned from that. He didn't boast by the end of his life. He didn't dishonor his brothers. He wasn't self-seeking. He shared his wealth. He wasn't easily angered, but he was overcome with emotion. He kept no record of wrongs. His brothers did, and they're the ones that committed the wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. He didn't delight in evil, but he rejoiced with the truth. He always protected, always trusted, always hoped, and always persevered. Let that be your guide, because it worked for Joseph. Like that was his guide so that when, when he had this pivotal moment time and time and time and time again in his life to be a, either a lover of good or a brother of revenge, boom, lover of good. It might not feel natural, but it's supernatural because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Let's do some math, shall we? Last week, if you were here, right, Micah talked about uh, like the difference between things and, um, you know, had some math problems. Um, I don't have any gift cards. So he gave out gift cards for people who had right answers. Uh, I don't have any gift cards, but we just have one problem today. So let's see if we can get 100% on this. All right, fill in this blank. If A equals B and B equals C, what else is true? A equals C. Do you know what that's called? Yeah, come on. Now it's the transitive property of equality. Say it again louder for the people in the back. That is it. Beautiful, it is. So if A equals B, B equals C, what else is true? A equals C. So, is it true that God is good? Yes. Is it true that God is love? Yes. So is it also true that whatever is good is love? Yes. So love is the way that God intended for things to be. So let's do this. Let's swap out the word love from that passage and put in lovers of good. Lovers of good are patient. Do you want to know what that feels like? Lovers of good are patient. Even in an impatient world, lovers of good are kind. Even when people are rude, lovers of good do not envy and they do not boast and they are not proud. Lovers of good do not dishonor others. They are not self-seeking. They are not easily angered. They keep no record of wrongs. Lovers of good do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. They always protect. They always trust. They always hope. They always persevere. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be a lover of good? So what do you do with that, right? You just be like, man, that's a good word, right? We pat ourselves on the back and be like, wow, yes, we learned more. Here's what I would say. And you're going to need this on that, on that Wednesday afternoon, right? Memorize that. Like hide it so that it comes quickly when you need it the most. You want to reroute the water. And what that means is if you, if you see water pouring down a, mo- uh, a mountain uh, and there's a village at the bottom, there's, the water is going to take a, a certain path. And if the water comes down and takes out your village, what you need to do is you don't need to rebuild the village first. You know what you need to do? You need to do hard, the hard work, get up the mountain, reroute the water so it doesn't hit your village the next time you want to rebuild it. You want, you want to have a different response than being impatient. If, if I want to have a different response, these unseen hours of waiting in line, right? We all have to wait, but we all don't have to wait well. There are times where I just want to not wait well and I'll move my way to the front. So I have to reroute the water. And one way I can reroute the water is you memorize that scripture. Read it in different translations and have it readily available wherever you are. So this hangs in my office. Another version of this hangs in my home. This is made by a friend, and it's the love passage from 1 Corinthians. I need reminders that hang on my wall 
not as decoration, but as weapons. <laughs> that's what I need. You're going to need it. You're gonna, unless you don't think you need it, unless you don't want to be in a lover again. That's not a shame-filled thing. That's just an introspective thing. You're going to need this. You need weapons like this because you have an enemy, and his name's not God. This is in a different translation. This is from the Adventure Bible. From the first, You know how the first graders get Bibles? Um, we have five kids, so we have five Bibles in our home <laughs> of that type. And this is the Adventure Bible translation. Take a listen to it. See if it stirs you differently. Love will stand in line and wait its turn. That's patience. Love looks for the good in others. Love doesn't always want what others have, and it doesn't brag about what it does have. Love is polite even when the other person is rude. Love doesn't have to be per first. Love doesn't get angry over small things, and it doesn't remember one reason after another to be hurt. Love isn't happy when someone else fails, but is happy with the truth. Love will always protect others, especially those who are picked on or teased. Love believes the best about others and is steady and true. Love never gives up. Yeah. This is the stuff you need like when, when it matters, right? Um, when it matters. This is the stuff, this is where you go. And it's a good thing to have things that matter because that's what drives up your intensity when things matter. I just want the right things to matter for Ben Diaz. I want the right things to matter for us as followers of Christ. All right. Here's, here's the last thing. Oh, man. You want to embrace the space. Embrace it, right? There's, a, there's an intensity to that. Embracing the space really means this, is, is you acknowledge that there's a space, a gap between the way things currently are and the way you feel like God intended for them to be. There's so much bad, right? It's true. And there's a gap. What do you do with that gap? Do you turn your back to it and walk away and say, that's never going to go away? Or do you try to fix it yourself in your own power and make the gap bigger? No, you embrace the space. Remember, when God created what was good, sin entered the world. And all of a sudden, there's this gap. And what did he do with that gap? He filled it with grace through Jesus Christ. He sent his highest and best to offer your life, offer his life for yours and mine. He covered that gap with that. He embraced that space. It probably is true that you could have sent a mighty angel to fix that gap. He probably could have just had one drop of Jesus' precious blood to fix that gap. He sent his one and only son and he gave it all so that we would have access. He embraced that space. So we acknowledge that gap, that there's a gap that exists. We remember that God's grace covers that gap. And we're called to cover that gap too. Lovers of good. What Joseph did for his brothers, there was a gap. He kept covering it over and over so there was no doubt. And guess what kept coming back to his brothers? Doubt. And what did he cover it with? Grace. Remember that God covered that gap for you. And then operate out of that. As opposed to trying to fill that gap with bitterness. Or, eh, that gap will be there tomorrow, so why try? See that lack of intensity, that lack of care? That's not being a lover of good. Not to say that you don't like stuff that's good. It's just not who you're called to be. There's an intensity to it. How do you embrace the space? Here's the last thing. Remember that God doesn't lose his identity when things get tough. 
God doesn't lose his goodness just because things get tough. God doesn't fall off his throne just because things get tough. God still knows. God still keeps his promises. There is still life and beauty that surrounds you. He doesn't lose his identity just because times get tough. So get to know him. Because in getting to know him, you'll get to know more of how he's created you to be, which is a beautiful thing, that you are a lover of good. Because, yeah, with this whole love passage, as you commit it to memory, to memory you know what's going to happen? I have a feeling what's going to happen is this. Because of the transitive property of equality, you're going to be like this. Oh, God, what do you feel like? What, what are you saying to me right now? Are, are you mad at me? Are, is there shame? And then this will come to mind. God is patient. God is kind. God looks for the good in others. He always hopes. He always protects. He always trusts. And he never fails. That's what's going to come to mind when you need it the most. But it's only because you want that. And he wants that for you. So remember that God doesn't lose his identity when times get tough, and neither do you. Right? We've all had tough times. I've acted in ways where I regret it, honestly. And it's hard to ask for forgiveness, or receive it, or even recognize that I was acting a certain way. Just because of that, you don't lose your identity. Did you know that in uh, Genesis 37, when you remember that part in the story where uh, Jacob sends Joseph out to go look for his brothers and give me a report back on how they're doing? This is what happened was when they saw Joseph from afar, you know what they said? Here comes that dreamer. They used his identity as an insult, and that might be true for you and for me. People try to weaponize the identity that God has placed in you to ridicule you so that you don't actually live out the purposes that God has called you to. When they yelled, look at that dreamer. Here comes that dreamer, 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 dreamer. We're going to bother him. You know, I bet you there was a lot of ridicule in that moment. It's not in the text, but I'm sure it's there. But there's sarcasm in there. Here comes that dreamer, right? It's actually the dreams that Joseph had that saved their lives and ours, right? That might be what you need to do is when times get tough, you don't lose your identity either because it's so quick to trade it. Well, I'm not going to be a dreamer. You know what? I'll just be a slave. I'll just be a really good slave. I just don't want, I don't, I just don't want to, that's just too risky. That's too much heartache. Uh, that's just too much. I can't do it. So just to embrace the space, acknowledge it. Remember that God covers it. God doesn't lose his identity when times get tough. And neither do you. All right. If I, if I were to have this exercise to say, think of, people in your life who are lovers of good. Who has Ann Cody on that list? I do, yes. Right, so Ann Cody, why don't you come on up? <laughs> um, what we're gonna do is this is uh, Ann, yeah, let's welcome Ann up here. So Ann is, man, Ann is uh, great. And really, this is true, I've told you this, that you do come to mind as a lover of good. Have you been receiving that? Is that... I'm, re I'm receiving that, yeah. yes, thank you. <laughs> Um, because, yeah, uh, it's true, and like I've told you before, I've done straw polls of like, hey, who would be on that list? Um, you're on that list. And so thank you for being who you are, being a lover of good, and um, a lover of Jesus makes you a lover of good. And you spread that so beautifully. And so I, I just wanted to know, right? It kind of felt um, like, oh, you know who should be sharing this instead of Ben Diaz? Ann Cody. <laughs> Ann Cody should be doing this. So just from your perspective, Ann, like as you've walked this out, kind of the day-to-day the -day, um, of being a lover of good that you really 
exemplify and are, like, what does that look like for you? Or what comes to mind so that we kind of have these, these anchor points to be able to walk it out with confidence? Okay, well, it is certainly my desire to be a lover of good because um, God is good. God is love, as Ben just has been teaching us today. And I love him, so I want to be like him. You're talking about God, not... About God. Yes, okay, yes, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but no, I'm just... <laughs> not Ben teaching us today. I love him. I do love him as right. my brother, but yeah, I love the Lord and he is good and he is love. So I think deeply loving him is a big piece of becoming a lover of good. And we see that in Joseph's life, but something else came to my mind, Ben, and I think it's partly for you, even just what you're going through now, when you talked about the space, yeah. I think it is in those spaces where things are not the way God wants them to be and we know they're not because we live in a fallen world and we're suffering and we're going through hard things. I just finished the book of Job this morning, so maybe that's on my mind. But um, when we're in those spaces, I think that's the time when we have to press in and remember something. And in 1 John, it says, we love because he first loved us. And I think to press into knowing you are loved by God is so important during those times when we're in the space where we're thinking, why is this happening? This is not good. What's going on with your sister is not good. And you're in that space right now. Mm-hmm. But 1 Corinthians 13 just doesn't describe how we're supposed to be. It describes who God is. He is patient. He's kind. He believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things, bears all things right along with you. Mm -hmm. And another passage in Romans 8 says nothing, and Paul lists (laughs) all these horrible circumstances can separate us from the love of Christ. So receiving that love, I think, comes first. Receiving and really knowing down to the depths of your soul that God is good, even in the moments that don't feel good, that feel bad to us, um, I think that's a big piece to loving him and becoming a lover of good, just knowing he is good, even in that hard time and pressing into that. And again, being honest about the pain, but also saying, even in that, I still know you are good and I experienced that and I'm thankful for the good I can see or even the good I can't see yet that I know will come out of this hard circumstance. That's so good. (laughs) That's really good. Thank you, Anne. um, Thank you. Because, yeah, there's so much wisdom there. And even what you've just done uh, just highlights the the reason why we want to memorize things, right? Like... Oh, yeah. And experience yeah, them yeah. and feel them. All, all of that, they, yeah. Because, I mean, I think we could all go around the room. We could, and we could all look back at, there's gaps, there's spaces for all of us, whether it's something we're waiting for, or something that we're wounded by, or anything. We want to, f- how do you fill that gap? And knowing that, well, he with first loved us. With the love of God. He loved us, yep. yeah. With the love of God. Yeah. Thank you, Ann. Well, I'm going to, you're going to enjoy this Thank next you. part. I'm going to uh, invite Pastor Marvin and Pastor Jack Thank you. I'm praying for you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Take it away, Mark. <laughs> well, um, Ann Cody is, uh, as Ben described, uh, is a lover of good. Uh, something that you may not know about Ann Cody, Ann Cody has been on staff here at Trinity Church for 20 years. And, uh, yeah, that is... 
And, and that is not just 20 years sitting in an office, that's 20 years of pouring out her life on behalf of other people. And um, Anne is, um, we, we don't call it retiring in the kingdom, we call it being recommissioned. I'm, I'm calling it retirement. You're calling it retirement, okay. You can, but. <laughs> I will still be active in the kingdom. Yeah, that's right. So one of the images and metaphors in the Bible that, um, that I think is really, really powerful, it is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, and it talks about a fragrance and an aroma. And just like um, you have some favorite smells, whether it is freshly cut grass or a newborn baby or someone's cooking freshly baked bread, um, you and I, we also give off an aroma in our lives. And Anne Cody, with perfumes and colognes, there are notes um, that you can smell, hints of vanilla and hints of daffodil and those kinds of things, hints of pear. Um, I think in the life of a believer, there are also notes. And when I think of your life, um, I, you, you smell really good. Now, listen... <laughs> When I say smell really good, she gives off an aroma of Jesus. Um, you have a note of servanthood and a note of love and a note of patience. There are notes of sacrifice. There are notes of surrender. Uh, I picture you in the garden where Jesus is, not my will, but your will be done. There are notes of advocacy and you being an ambassador of his love to people here in Lansing, Kenya, and even South Sudan. And so, and as we recommission you, release you to do the same things you've already been doing, but doing them in new and fresh ways, um, we say we love you and we thank God for you. We have um, this, um, this hand-carved Italian-made um, shepherd's crook or shepherd's staff. And this is a symbol of who you are. You are a good shepherd. You're not the good shepherd, but you are a good shepherd. Thank goodness for all of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are a good shepherd under the leadership of the great shepherd of our soul. Mm -hmm. And so, so this is hopefully to inspire you to continue to shepherd God's people well. This crook, one of the unique things about this crook is... It was used uh, as a shepherd. A shepherd would use it to stay connected to the sheep. Mm -hmm. And so um, we hope that this would inspire you to continue to serve, continue to care, mm -hmm. continue to love, continue to be a lover of good. So that's one gift. A second gift is there's this big book that has um, notes from people who love you mm -hmm. and just to say, um, this is how you've impacted our lives. Mm. And so mm. hopefully when I call you my sleepless <laughs> shepherd uh, because Anne, Anne, Anne stays up and she stays up praying for you and praying for the people of this church. And so, uh, so when you are kind of, um, kind of thinking and not Thank sleeping, you. read these notes. They are super, super special uh, and so thank you, we love you, and uh, thank God for you. Oh, thank yeah. you, I love these. These yeah. could not be more special to me. Thank you. 
before or as the elders and deacons are coming up, because we're going to pray for Anne, and I hope you have, we have time for this. We have one more surprise for you. Take a look at the screen as the elders and deacons come up to the platform to pray for. Hi, Mom. You're being recommissioned today for the next chapter of what God is going to do in and through your life. And so to the person who led me to Christ, who taught me to love the Word and the God who inspired it, and who modeled so many things close to Christ's heart, from daily devotions to foreign missions to care for people in need, and who has loved her family so well along the way and is now loving the next generation of our family well, I would say, well done, good and faithful servant, except that I'm so confident that God's best is not behind you, but before you. I love you, Mom, and I'm proud of you. Happy recommissioning. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah. By, by the way, the man he just said, Ann just kissed, is her husband, all right? So, they want to see more of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to pray for Ann. And so if you can, if the elders and deacons, uh, if you can gather around Ann and uh, lay hands on her, and Jack is going to pray for her. Yeah, brothers and sisters, I'm actually going to ask you to stand, if you would. Um, and I'm going to ask if you would extend a hand toward Anne, um, just as a kind of just a symbol of our blessing um, over her. She is already blessed, uh, but we learned in Genesis 12 when God first blessed Abram, he didn't just bless Abram so that he could just, you know, bask in the blessing. He blessed Abram so that he would be a blessing. And God does that with each of us. And Anne is blessed. She has also been a blessing. And so by extending our hand, we just acknowledge that as we go to the Father together in prayer. Abba and Father, God and King, we thank you for this one. Father, you have uniquely crafted her. Yeah, not only in your own image, but Father, she has been a blessing to this local church body. She has shown and taught so many of us. Yeah, brothers and sisters, you should be aware when my wife and I gather around and we say, well, what do we want to be when we grow up? We laugh and we say, well, we pretty much want to be Mark and Ann Cody. Father, I know that we are not alone in that. There are so many others that have been impacted that could look down the corridors of time and say, what does it look like to live a life for the kingdom of the living God well? And it looks like our sister here. All that you have poured out, she has taken and put at your feet. All that you have poured into her, she has turned and planted for your glory, but also for her joy. And Father, it is greatly beautiful. Thank you for the privilege of just knowing Ann Cody, of loving her and being loved by her, of walking with her and her walking with us. And so Father, indeed, as we recommission her, as we send her out, Father, as she steps into this new chapter, we recognize she's not going to stop being an agent for the kingdom of God. It's just who she is. It's just what she does. And so, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would fill her sails full of fresh wind, that you would kindle the flame of your heart with fresh fire. Father, that she would sense a fresh infilling of your spirit in such a way that she walks forward with strength, hope, expectancy, and great love. As we've talked this morning, Ben's right. Our sister is a lover of good, and Father, we pray that you would give her new ways 
to see and to experience your goodness in her and through her and for her and with her. And we say thank you again for Ann Cody. And so Father, we bless her. We bless Mark, their marriage, their family, their grandkids. Father, we bless them just as they have been a blessing to us. And we thank you for her in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. So after, uh, after the worship team leads us in this last song of celebration, out in the atrium, if you know Anne and, um, or even uh, just want to leave a note, a note of love and concern and care, right outside there's a table and there are papers, slips of paper, you can write on that we'll put in the book so that she might read how uh, God has used her uh, to bless your life. The, the worship team is going to lead us in this last piece, and I hope you'll worship God with us, talking about his goodness once again. song together. We're going to sing about the goodness of God, which is a great response to all that we've heard this morning. So the invitation for you, right, as we passionately pursue our Father, we get the opportunity out of his love for us, we get to pour our praise and our love back to him. So if you have a big and thankful heart for what God has done for you this morning, this is your time to let loose a little bit and pour it out back to him.
as we get ready to leave this morning, one of the images in the Bible uh, talking about the church of Jesus is a body. And when one part of the body hurts, the entire part of the entire body hurts. And so Ben shared this morning um, and he poured out and he poured out with a heavy heart as his sister Carmen is going through um, her, uh, her medical and health situation. And we believe that God is healer. We believe that God is good. We believe that God closes the gap between what is and what should be. We still believe that, right? No, I'm, I'm not talking about I kind of believe it. We still believe yeah. that God is still on the throne, yeah, right? Absolutely. And yeah. so, so we pray like that. Hmm. And we, we posture ourselves like that. And right now, we're going to gather, and I'm going to ask you to extend your hand one more time. And I know it's like, okay, man, I've been extending my hands like all service. We're going to ask that you extend your hand because we're going to pray God's blessing over Carmen and over the Diaz family. And I'm asking, just asking God to give you mustard seed faith even now. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for being God. Thank you for being uh, good. And mm -hmm. we don't say that tritely. Yeah. We say that because it's true of you. That is your character. Uh, we, we ask that you would help us to hold the space between what is and what you desire. We know that uh, the world is not the way you want it to be, and yet you've called us to be lovers of good mm -hmm. in a broken and yeah. dark world. And right now, um, we, we feel the pain of our brother. We feel what he feels right now. And we stand as his brothers and sisters. We stand as the body of Jesus. And we're asking that your kingdom would break through in this world right now. When your son was on earth, when he worked a miracle, that was the kingdom breaking through. When, when he dismissed and excommunicated uh, demons, that was the kingdom breaking through. And we ask that, the, that what you've done in the past, that you would renew it in our day for Carmen right now. We trust you because one of your names is Jehovah Rapha. And we just simply ask that you would show up as Jehovah Rapha. You've shown up as Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. You've shown up as God who provides. But we're asking now as a body, we're asking as brothers and sisters for you to show up as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And we ask that you would do so, yes, for Carmen's sake, but for your name's sake, so that everybody yeah. in the world might know that you are alive and you are yeah. still on the throne yeah. and you yeah. are still parting mm. seas and you are still shutting the mouths yeah. of lions. You are yeah. still opening seas, mm. God, that you are still yeah. healing your people. Mm. And so we beg of you, to show up even now. Yeah. And so we lift up the Diaz family mm. to you. We lift up Carmen yeah. to you. And we ask that you would confound us, that you would <laughs> humble us, yeah. that you would remind us that you're God and we're not. Mm. And so we give them into your hands. And we ask all of this 
in Jesus' name. Even the one who died rose mm. again, who is yeah. sitting at your right hand, interceding for his body. Even in his name we pray now. And all of God's people said together, amen. amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great week.